Hey everyone, my name's Hayner Wild, and I'm joining up with Jack from How They Train podcast to bring you a brand new podcast, the Hayden Wild's Triathlon Show. I'll be joined every week by Jack and my brother Hammer Hamish Wild and another pro triathlete. This week, that's Carl Smith. We're going to use this podcast to chat all things about short course triathlon and have some fun doing it. We're going to take a much more relaxed approach to podcasting. So strap your TT helmets on and let's go and have some fun. So we've got um, our special guest for today uh, is Carl Smith, um, New Zealand triathlete, dabbles in uh, PTO, Ironman, half Ironman, and but coming back to the short course, which is um, fantastic in his pursuit to get to the Olympics in Paris. So we'll have a good yarn with Kyle and um, get his inside of his how his short course kind of career is going. Um, this is kind of more based on like short course racing, this podcast, as there's so many long course podcast we really wanted to kind of dive into the the short course stuff and really get to know some of like the key athletes and some some pretty awesome people um hamish Hammerwild, um aka my brother uh with i thought i'd chuck him on uh the podcast uh more so because he's got a great experience um doing commentary and also is a radio dj so we had to have some sort of profession in this podcast and Jack of uh, from How They Train. Um, yeah, we just thought we would uh, do a collaboration together and get short course a little bit more exposed um, so you can kind of, yeah, follow people um, leading into Paris. And if you didn't really know too much about short course, uh, at least you can kind of turn on um, to, you know, either an ITU race or a, um, the Olympics and at least kind of cheer for someone if you had no clue what short course was. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the, um, the intros there. And I guess myself, I dabble in a bit of uh, short course triathlon, um, currently on the World Triathlon um, Series and um, aiming to, yeah, get to Paris. So that's that's about it. Hey, Kyle, uh, Jack here. Uh, good to see you again, mate. Haven't talked to you since I think it was like episode 43 when I had you on the show last. And it's going to be good to hear a bit about um, what you've been up to. But I think we can all agree that, that what we sort of have to start talking about from the start is, you know, we're in the presence of Hayden Wild and he's just absolutely dominated WTCS Yokohama on the weekend. How, how did you did you watch the race, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I watched, uh, I watched it the next morning. I didn't watch it live. So I got a bit of a spoiler. He just took the piss, didn't he? Like, I know he's here. We won't, we won't pump up his tires too much. But, you know, I thought he was out for a Sunday job. He's checking his watch. He's uh, absolutely dropping hammers on everyone. And, yeah, gets across the finish line. He looks like he's just been out for a stroll. That's a good point you make because I, when I was watching it, I wasn't exactly like I was half watching it because it was like – it's a, it was a little bit of a boring race and the only reason I was really into it was because of, of watching Hayden doing what he was doing. But but then he was just dominating by so much that it was got a little bit boring because of that. But went through halfway of that 10K run in like, it was like 14.20 or something like that and, and then really did jog home. So my question to you, Hayden, was did you actually just jog it in after like that 7K mark and realize, oh, I've won this? Or did you just cook yourself, you know, for 7K and then have to slow up a little bit? 
Um, so the plan was to run around, um, around 2840. Uh, so that's why I kind of had the watch on, uh, wanted to make it like just super consistent, uh, through the start. Um, and I was actually intending to negative split and come down to that. Yeah. That 2840, uh, 2835. And I was on pace, uh, to seven and a half K. Um, and then I realized that I had like a pretty decent gap and I was kind of, you know, obviously up there by yourself. Um, there wasn't, I guess, for me personally, I didn't really want to like, you know, I guess, look, if, if I didn't have a race in two weeks in Cagliari, um, I think I would have like pushed super hard and, you know, have a, you know, have a really decent 10K. But I guess looking back at it, you know, I was, I was trying to be a little bit smarter. And once I had that 30 second gap at about seven and a half K, um, I made the decision to kind of just turn the jets down a little bit um, just because I wanted, I knew I had a big flight, a 14 and a half hour flight to Frankfurt the next day. Um, and also, yeah, have a, a race uh, in Cagliari in two weeks. So um, I'd rather kind of save my legs uh, for that race instead of just being, you know, on the front and, you know, I guess, you know, pushing um, to the complete max for no, like, for no reason. Like, yeah, I've, I'm always an athlete that likes to, um, race a hundred percent no matter what but I think it was just that that sense of having another race in two weeks and feeling pretty comfortable um it was I just I was lucky enough to have that opportunity to to kind of cool the jets down um and then yeah coming I was actually I was actually saved a little bit by the commentary because when I was high-fiving I didn't realize how much I slowed down a bit and uh, this guy, the comment guy in the commentary was just like screaming at the uh these three guys having a sprint look back I was like oh I better go over the finish line before before I get pipped like a like a Walt Van Aert or something at the at the finish line or a Julian Alaphilippe celebrating a bit too early. <laughs> <laughs> Hayden, on the weekend, did you like did you know going into that race that you were in that shape, or at what point did you realize that that like you were a fair way ahead of everyone else? Uh, it was hard to know because you know I raced Abu Dhabi and uh, obviously had that mechanical, so like I know the the fitness and the form was there, but I just didn't know. I just couldn't like, yeah, I couldn't race against other people because I was like 46th place, um, at, like last place. So it was kind of no good. So even though I ran quite well by myself, it's still, I, I just still can like compare that into like a race situation and, you know, uh, felt pretty strong in New Plymouth, but obviously like with the World Cup, the quality of field, like there was still some amazing athletes there, but it wasn't like a, a World Series qual qual quality of field. So um, yeah, heading into this race, it was actually like the day before, um, uh, we did bike familiarization. I actually felt terrible. Um, uh, my legs felt a bit cooked. Um, so I was lucky to kind of get, um, I snagged the, uh, Australian masseuse for a half an hour massage on the quads to kind of get them released a little bit. And, um, in some ways, yeah, like I was feeling, feeling good for the race, but in, in the back of my mind, I was like, I, oh, the legs don't feel good. Maybe it's from the travel. Uh, and then yeah, turn race day I actually felt like super good. And, like yes, I said in one of my posts. Like personally, I think it was one of the most put together races I've done in my in my like Olympic distance career. Uh, Fifteen seconds off the back um, from the swim, and uh, you know it took me about five hundred meters to to get into the uh, the front group with a good transition. Um, and it was a pretty sketchy day, so I think sitting on the front was the best place to be. Um, and then yeah, just uh, went out for went out there and um, went to my paces and kind of just said, whoever wants to come, uh, let, let's go and do it. So, you know, I was just stoked that everything kind of came together. Yeah, I think it's something that's been ignored completely. Well, not ignored completely, but, you know, you've only done it a couple of times where you've had like a phenomenal swim. Like that was 
actually, you know, I don't know about these other boys, but it was kind of mind-blowing to see you, you know, swim so well, especially, I think you were 15 seconds after the first lap and then you... You should have seen my mind blowing when I actually got out for the second lap. I was like, oh crap, I'm in the line. I'm in the single fold line here. I just saw Henry two places in front of me. You kidding? (laughs) You're kidding. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, as you said, like you you put together that performance. Obviously, you want to maintain that. How do you continue to now maintain that? Is there any particular um, way? Well, I was having a laugh with Taylor because he's like, man, that was an awesome swim. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of gutted now because I've just like put in my good swim of the year. It was like same with Com Games. Like I had like an amazing swim there. And that was like the only good swim I had all year. And so I've kind of used my ticket for the best swim of the year. So I'm kind of a bit gutted. It was the second race of the season. Like ideally, I'd like to have it the other year, but nah. I don't know. It's just getting in good position. Eh? It's like, I, I don't have the, like the top end speed to get out, but it's just trying to get into a good position into the race. Like it's just so 50, 50. Like, what do you think Kyle? Like it's a 50, 50 game. Like I think everyone swims so similar. It's just kind of depends like where you kind of get off around the first boy, I guess. I don't even reckon it's the first boy. I reckon it's the first 50 meters. Like, honestly, it's such a gamble, like, or it's such a lottery, I should say. Like, you know, yeah. you dive off the pontoon and if you can break the line of like the other swimmers. So for those of the people that don't know, you know, you're starting 60 people across all heading in the same direction and everyone is swimming about two minutes to 205 to 200 pace. You know, everyone's within that same bandwidth. And if you can't break the line, you get uh, sort of what's called bogged down. So you get people sitting on your wake. And that like is almost like someone's pulling on your shirt to stop you. And so you could be the fastest swimmer, but if you get someone just like two people, especially sitting at either side and you don't break that line and then you just get bogged down in the group. And um, like, I consider myself quite a good swimmer in terms of, you know, triathlon swimming. And yeah, even at like the Conti Cups and um, because I was so low ranked, you know, you get off the start, you just get bogged down and then all of a sudden you just boxed in and you, you're swimming almost like, you know, warm up speed because you can't move forward sideways or backwards. So you're just kind of stuck in the middle and you're sort of at the mercy of everybody else around you, really. Uh, but yeah, like you say, like, you know, if you can get out fast and you, Hayden, are so fit that if you get out fast in a good position, then your, I guess, expertise or your talent comes when you get past that first 200 meters and you can really put the hammer down. Yeah, like I think I was pretty lucky in a sense of like I was ranked 35th, which I normally haven't been for a while. But I was so lucky that on that left side, we I think we had like the top 10 swimmers on the left side. So literally I jumped in. So there was uh, DeVay, uh, Jean-Berg, Henry, um, just all the guys were on the left. Um, and it was most, yeah, most like the top end swimmers. And we all dove in and I was literally like already like a body length behind. Um, so I just hit left and just sat on all those guys' feet and they just dragged us up. Uh, on the left side and we got around so nicely so it was yeah going back to that bogging like I had no one on my hip because everyone was in front of me and I was just getting like clean clean water and just holding on so that it it worked out perfectly really what I find as well is like racing like world series everyone there is obviously at a really good level and they understand the like importance of clean swimming so it's like if you're fighting with people it's not benefiting anybody whereas I reckon the lower level racing, so like the Conti Cup was like the roughest swim and actually like the worst swim that I had. I, my best swim of the ITU swims that I've done so far this year was Abu Dhabi because it's just clean and you're, no one's fighting. Everyone's sort of staying out of each other's way, but you get to the Conti Cups and you get just someone Dude. absolutely caving your head in around the first Man, boy. Or like, that was like, it was like when I went to Japan for the first time when I was trying to get points like six years ago. 
um, like Osaka, Miyazaki, Gamagori, like those were the hardest swims I've ever swum because like everyone's just all over you and you just get bogged down so hard where like, as yet, like, I think there's just more of like a, like, yeah, there's still like argy bargy for sure in World Series because everyone's so similar, but I think there's a little bit more respect in that. But I think Conti racing is way more aggressive than like a World Series race, I think. Kyle, if you had to compare long course swimming to short course swimming, like, because I'm finding this conversation fascinating, and and you talked about how your best swim um, was was at uh, Abu Dhabi earlier in the year, where I can't remember and don't have the facts on me, but I think you came out of the water like twentieth or something like that, maybe, um, versus long course yeah. racing like PTO racing, where you're guaranteed to come out of the water like fifth or sixth or first or second. What? How much different is it? And can you like tell us about the differences? Yeah, it's it's that's night and day. Like in a, in a long course race, very rarely, rarely do I have you know, any sort of nerves or anxiety around the start of the long course because pretty much the pace isn't just, it's so critical in the first 30 seconds of the race in an ITU race that it can literally make your day. Uh, whereas in the long course racing, you know, like I don't get the same nerves as that I do on an ITU start line because, yeah, you pretty much, if you go out fast, you're going to be somewhere thereabouts. No one's really like putting all of their eggs in the basket of the first 30 seconds of a long course race. Especially Iron Man. I mean, Iron Man's like you know, you're standing on the start line. You're like, oh, I've got eight hours ahead of me. Better like you know, cruise into this one. And uh, it's actually quite nice to be honest. Um, whereas short course rating is the polar opposite. Like, yeah, you're doing an all-out effort for 15 seconds, just as hard as you can go, and that sometimes can uh, decide where, you, like, like Hayden's race, for example. You know, like, you know, you go out if he has a really good swim that was pretty much probably dictated in the first 15 seconds of the race. And then he comes out the water and he's holding all the cards. And then it's like, you know, Verstappen putting it on pole, he's just cruising away with it for the rest of the day. And so, yeah, it's a night and day difference. Yeah. And I think there's a lot more like decision-making too. So actually in that first like a hundred meters, I was in a position where I was actually had clean water because the arrowhead was going left and there's an arrowhead going right. And, I had like a split decision where I actually could have probably gone right because I had, um, I had, I don't know, I forgot his name who was beside me, but he was kind of like blocking me out on the left side and I couldn't get over him. And then, so I had to put in a big surge to get around him to get on that left. But I did have like kind of a, a shot of going right. And I think if I went right, I think that would have probably been like a bad decision. So like there's so much thinking about where to go in ITU as well. And it's not just kind of putting your head down and going straight off the off the start, I think, as well. Eh? It's also like, you know, where you sort of go around the boys and, you know, like, it, it, you know, if, if it's a left-hand course, if the course is going anti-clockwise, that changes his tactics. Like, do you want to go up the inside and gamble that you're going to have a, you're not going to get pinched out? Or do you go around the outside? and swim longer but you're going to have a bit more clear water there's so many more decisions than long course racing did you boys have any other takeaways from the weekend like particularly maybe you hayden racing the race was was there any other things that like key points to talk about coming out of the race um it was hard to know because it was such a it was such a treacherous course um you know it was narrow and with the rain as well it just made it like pretty dangerous so i know like it was actually really really cool uh, I don't know for me personally, because it was the first time that I hadn't needed to chase the front group. So it was the first time I got to work with guys like Leo and, and Martin and like those guys were super, like they were super motivated to work. So there was not, there was not one dull moment of off pace in that whole race. Like there was maybe once where the group kind of bunched, 
Um, but it was mostly, it was just on the whole time. And I think that made it for us athletes, like more exciting just because like it was consistently on. If you were at the back, you were just yo-yoing like no tomorrow. If you're in the middle, it just kind of felt a bit dodgy, but if you're on the front, you just had so much control. And especially when Christian and yellow came through, you know, they, they bridged out, which yeah, they did a great job doing that. Um, cause we were pushing some pretty decent power on the front. And then once they came through, they were still keen to get to the front and push as well. And I really think that kind of dictated how the race went. Cause you know, you had some amazing runners in that group, but a lot of them, I don't think were used to such a high end pace, um, bike. And you could see the guys that actually performed really well were usually just sitting in that top eight of the bike because it was less like less kind of surgy, uh, less acceleration. Um, and it kind of kept it like a super honest race at the end of the day, I think, which was really cool. And did you think that like, was, did you think it was going to be Christian like as your main competition there? Or did you think coming off the PTO and you know what he's been up to last year that maybe it was someone else like in the end, Matty Hauser or, um, or Vasco or, you know, Leo Bergier or did you, who did you look at as like coming off the bike? Who were you most worried about? I think I was most worried about actually Morgan because I know Morgan, he's got a good track background. So if you look back on that first lap, you know, I, I had a really good transition and I was out first and I was running like 250, 248 pace and he was closing gap. And I was like, man, like he's putting a lot of biscuits in this first K um, to catch back up. And I, then I think, um, you know, around half that, that first lap, he paid for it. Um, I think he got a little bit of back issue and had to and got like cramped up a bit. So whether he maybe went out a bit too hard because, you know, if I was running at two, you know, two forty eight, two fifty pace, you know, he was more than happy to close at two forty like two forty five low, you know, so he was shifting properly and it's like, man, there's like nine K to go. So yeah, my my goal was to get out fast um and to like not chase. Um uh, was just to be in the front straight away. And, um, yeah, like you still had Leo who held on, who was actually like, I was like, oh, like, yeah, he's looking good. And he's, he's not breathing too much. And he, he's sounds like he's like moving really well. And I was kind of also looking at yellow gains as well. Uh, those are normally kind of the, the two like impact players, um, obviously, except for Alex, who wasn't there, um, yellow and, uh, and Morgan Pearson for sure. And do you think that like going into, into the rest of the season, who do you think are the clear, say, like two to three guys who are going to be your biggest competition all year? Um, it's oh, it's hard to know, eh? Because like it's just so there's just so many guys that can win. Because like you know, on his best day out, Matt Matt Hauser is just an absolute demon. Uh, I'd hate to be in the last two k because he can just bury himself and he knows he can sprint. Um, at the end, like you saw how he went through Yavasco and Dorian. Like Dorian is an incredible sprinter. And he just left him in the dust. Like that was insane. Um, and then obviously Alex, like no doubt, like if we come off the bike together, um, you know, we run pretty similar. Uh, we've gone toe to toe and it's normally comes down to a sprint finish at the end anyway. And then, yeah, like Christian, I think, you know, coming into Cagliari, he's got a couple more weeks extra recovery. So I think he'll be up there in contention. And um, it was hard because it's like that first Olympic distance as well. And there's quite a few Olympics year two. So, um, you know, I think a lot of guys can, can definitely shine at the at the end of the season. So um, you know, it's just been the first two races, but I think it's gonna get like pretty pretty exciting um through the mid season for sure. Do you think they do enough Olympic distances? I think this year's the most they've done, but they don't do enough for sure. No, like, yeah, I mean, for me it's like the Olympic distance racing is is what I 
I want to get my teeth stuck into. And like we were just talking about before, like I almost got the start for Yokohama because uh, I think that's going to be my best shout to, you know, make that Olympic quality. But yeah, it's like this year, it's kind of like it's pretty slim pickings there. And they've put two back to back. So they got uh, Yokohama Cagliari. And then the next one, obviously, with the test event this year is, uh, is kind of one more. Uh, and then obviously the grand final. But yeah, I think it's just be like the World Triathlon obviously is pretty aware that uh, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. Uh, and so the more sprint distance and even the super sprint distance races, I guess, are somewhat more appealing to the general viewer. But for a person like myself or, you know, like an actual triathlon fan is like Olympic distance racing is the most honest kind of racing that there is. And yeah, I definitely think that there needs to be more and, and more. I think they're just kind of like simplifying everything nowadays too. I don't know, like, you know, nothing's sort of like everything's too dangerous or everything's too sort of, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating really. I think they need to copy what like the World Cup do, uh, the Mountain Bike World Cup. Uh, like Nova Mesto, like mountain biking should be literally impossible to do a live segment of. It's so hard to get every single bit of the course, but they do it. Like get, they have... They have drones. They have cameras stuck everywhere on the course. Like you do not miss anything. Like watching Nova Mesto was like insane, and like you watch an ITU race, and it's kind of like any I think any triathlon race, and it's just like it is boring, unfortunately. But like surely there's something they can do to like ramp it up, you know, like get some lower drone shots. I don't know, have some like graphics and stuff like the Tour de France and the Giro do just to like kind of you know keep it interesting as well like it's and it's for the commentary it's so hard for them to pick out what's going on as well because there's just no kind of yeah things going on in the in the race itself you listen to the commentary and they're trying to they're almost guessing who the athlete is especially like with the swim and then even in the bike like obviously the run it's quite easy to tell because you have your name plastered all over you but like they're, they're trying to do a lot of guesswork which makes it like weird and as you said Hayden I think just like a little bit more money it needs to be just like put into the broadcast because if they put a little bit more money into that broadcast it could be like a bloody amazing thing to watch you know like have those graphics have those little highlights and those little packages and stuff that go along with it but like i think like you know it's a hard one i was having a conversation with chris gemmel the other day uh who's the uh sort of head of the wtcs or i don't know what his official job title is but we were talking about the broadcast and especially around the pto race they spent 600k on the pto broadcast and it was like, come on, guys, like, you know, all you really need from that is like, I actually mentioned your name, Jack. I was like, you need someone in the production office. You need someone on the uh, commentary team who's just a genuine, genuine fan of the sport. You can, so you can say like, you know, all of these subplots that's going on, like in just in the PTO race, for example, you've got like, you know, Alistair Brownlee's return from injury, Jan's return from injury, how significant that is, what that means for the sport. And then you also like, you've got all these subplots that's going on, like when, when the tour's going on for 200k, they're constantly talking about these little subplots that's happening, who's sort of like rivals with who, and and they make it this sort of soap opera that's uh, that's happening. And you know, when you're spending sort of that much money on a, on a broadcast, and the World Triathlon is spending like you know, it's not that much, but it's still like you know, it's in the it's in the hundreds of k's, like it's maybe 100 200k of broadcast money, and it's like, and the commentary are great, like Helen is absolutely amazing, and. I just think there needs to be someone else on that team that's just like an absolute fanatic. And then that's sort of like counterbalance with the explaining and the, you know, so you can appeal to all audiences, right? Like you can appeal to someone that's watching triathlon for the first time 
and then you can also make it exciting for those people and you can appeal to the seasoned triathlon fans that are watching it all the time and you know for example like you know you at the moment like this year you've got so many little subplots happening like who's trying to qualify for the olympics like you know we had for example we got the three new zealand guys in the yokohama race who are all obviously you've got hayden and you've got also taylor and dylan who are fighting for that olympic spot against each other so there's like these little races within races that can just be ex- uh, exploited and can you know make the broadcast just that much more exciting how long do we have to talk about coverage and, and broadcast and commentary in triathlon as fans negatively before one of the organizations makes the decision to go hey all of our fans might not be wrong they might actually be onto something here maybe we should listen to them instead of this like current view which is we know better like i did an interview with with sam renouf the, the ceo of the pto where i brought this up and i said hey your core fans don't like your commentary it's not good you know, your your lead commentator doesn't know anything about the sport. There's no other big sport in the world that does that. So you go and watch the NFL, the NBA, um, the EPL, the F1. Their, their lead commentators are someone who have been in the sport for a long time. Yes, they're good broadcasters still, but they've been in the sport for a long time. Now, they might not be the expert in quotation marks, but they are still an expert. They're just not the ex-athlete who's just got out of the sport. Whereas we just bring in some random person to do it who does not even follow the sport across like all all of our like all of our coverage is like this you know at Ironman we have some old people who used to race 20 years ago who clearly don't follow the sport anymore and you're like they they literally still bring up Dave Scott and Mark Allen more than they do Max Newman or Kyle Smith or whoever it is it's like actually crazy but at what stage do Ironman the PTO the the WTS at what stage do they step up and go hey Maybe if our fans keep telling us our commentary sucks, our coverage sucks, that we should listen to them. I'm not sure if they're like, you know, I don't know if they're ignoring you, but they're just trying to come up with like, you know, you got to think like they're sitting in an office. They don't want a boring broadcast. They want the best broadcast possible. That's what sells. That's what sells their product. But I think if we, you know, it's all good and well saying your broadcast sucks what's the solution you know like everyone's sort of like you know trying to find a new solution the pto have gone to the re like the high-end professional commentators to come in and talk about the race yeah it's great because you get someone who's very articulate very good with their words but also then again doesn't understand the sport like there's 30 guys actually there's less than 30 guys right like just talk about pto for example there's less than 30 guys on the start line if you don't know a they're not and, you know, and, th- and that's the defining criteria. Imagine a football commentator, there's 22 guys on a football field and you don't know every single player on that football player. Like you, you're getting the sack as a commentator. If you don't know like at least their name or if you're mispronouncing their name, then, you know, and then go even more than that. You need, don't know any of the results or their pedigree or their strengths or their weaknesses. It's like, I think that's why I was saying like you need someone like yourself, Jack, who's a genuine fan of the sport and you can you know, rifle off uh, a Palmares of an athlete and what they've done and where their strengths are going to lie and the significance of that. And that just makes that sort of like broadcast more exciting instead of just, you know, like in a World Series, 60 guys running around. And like you say, you get you get Hayden who's running away with the win and that's exciting. Um, and that's sort of like, you know, you've got all these different subplots that's happening in the race as well. I, I just think there's this... There's this thought that our sport isn't good enough to to like keep fans um, 
fans and non-fans alike watching the coverage, right? So there's this thought that we don't have to appease our core fans because, hey, we're trying to grab new people who are just changing the channel to watch it. What other sport in the world, what big sport in the world holds that mindset? The answer is none. They all appease their core fans. They, they create the best product possible focusing on their sport and then when someone flicks over and watches that and starts to watch and learn and get like invested in that, they start to love that sport. Like the F1 aren't, you know, trying to keep someone like aren't, aren't like fo- focusing their broadcast entirely on someone who's never watched it before. When you first watch the F1, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I don't know anything. I don't understand it. You, you go, but I'm interested. And then you watch it again and you learn a bit more. And then before you know it, you've watched every season of Drive to Survive and you're watching, you know, all the races and you know all 20 drivers and you know all the subplots and that kind of thing. And it's not because some British guy had a nice voice and talked to you like a baby. Like that's not what kept you around. It's because the sport's interesting and it's got good stories and good characters. And our sport has that. Why, like... Stop like thinking our sport isn't good enough and couldn't captivate you know um, new fans on its own. It can. We have great characters, great stories. It's like one of the hardest sports on the planet. What what are we talking about? Like, get some people who know what they're talking about in the sport. Get some people um, making production decisions on what footage to show and how to show it who understand what our sport needs. Like to me, it's not that. I just don't think it's that hard. I'm not sure why for ten years it seems like this really hard thing that our sport can't do, but every other sport can do. It, like that's ridiculous to me. I think one brand that has it like doing it quite well at the moment it's super league triathlon like super league triathlon is a, like is fantastic to watch like everything obviously you know it keeps people entertained because it's that shorter distance you always see the athletes and whatnot but i feel like their production is bloody good you know like their commentary is good like the guys there know you know these athletes inside out they pretty much live together for a full week you know for four weeks over their season maybe they can look at taking a little bit of that and then putting that into the WTS because I feel like Super League do do a very good job on their broadcast. Yeah, definitely. Like being part of Super League, I think, you know, it, it has exposed triathlon in that, in that sense of the, the American population, even the, the New Zealand population as well. Like it's crazy that I'll go back home for a beer with my mates and they don't give a crap that I won Olympic medal. They're just like, oh, like, when's that Super League thing on? It's not like, oh, like, when's your next ITU race or World Series race? It's like, oh, like, Super League's starting up again soon. It's not like, nah, bro, it's like in September. But they think Super League is pretty much triathlon as a whole. And, you know, my friends, um, Colby and Oscar, and a few guys that live in the UK, like, I got the VIP tickets to the London race, and they, like, they just frothed it, absolutely loved it. They don't have a clue who the heck's racing. They just love, they just were loving it because it was just fast, um, it was a good time um, and everything was happening right in front of their face. And I think that's what we miss is like short, exciting, you know, racing, maybe, um, maybe making the courses smaller, more harder, aggressive, but also not just focusing on, you know, myself or someone up, up the road that's winning the race, but panning the camera back to like the mid race where there's about 40 guys running together, see what's happening in that, in that part of the section, you know, because like once the front leaders go, you don't really see too much of the back end. Um, which like yeah fair enough but yeah it would be cool to kind of maybe get something in there and then like at least the commentary has something to talk about yeah i i agree on that fact like 
you know, like, hey, you know, say if you had a, or you or Kyle had a really, really good bike, you're out the front and then you just start to some reason drop off. You're like, where has he gone? What's happening? And all you get to see is on this like little split screen. Like, oh, no, he's 20 seconds behind. I want to look at him. I want to see how he's feeling. Uh, why is he, you know, drop so far yeah. back? Is there a problem? You want to be looking at those guys as well, not just the dude that's leading and going out the front by himself. Yeah, and I think like a really cool thing would be as well, like, it happened in Yokohama actually was when I made the decisive move on Leo everyone missed it because they were panned on the race for you know the there was like the top 10 and what they should have done was like have for example Leo and I in like the bottom left of the screen to see what the heck was going on there but also panning to the rest of the field to see what was happening back there because like when I made that move and then they panned back and they saw that I had 20 meters on Leo I was like what just happened like what happened there like did he increase pace or anything like yeah yeah, exactly. But I think with that, there needs to be someone, I guess, in a production office. Because like, when you're making a move on Leo, I don't, I don't care what's happening. Like, I'm like, I don't care what's happening in 20th place. Like, I get that. That's another kind of thing. We don't just want a camera on one athlete. But but when that move is going, we want to see that. Like, for, again, in the IB theorem, the PTO, like when we made a move on the bike and we split that group in half, they were showing the woman coming out of the water, or it wasn't even the lead woman coming out of the water. I think and it was like, you just need someone there to be like. Yeah, something's happening in that race, pan to that camera or whatever it is. But yeah, don't don't get me wrong though, mate. We love to see you uh absolutely dominating. I mean, I'll just have a camera on you if we could, hey. Oh thanks. <laughs> have a fan cam, you know? Just uh <laughs> just a little GoPro on your bike. I could just see uh, all a the little, a little fan cam on everyone's bike, eh? Like, oh <laughs> flick on Kyle. Oh, Larry is chewing a stem on the front. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's he's blown up on the run again. Dropping it <laughs> I just like a day-to-day one in my daily life of Hayden. Like I'd love to at any moment be able to flick over to like my phone or my like my laptop just to see what Hayden's up to. Just like there's a cam just following him, following him everywhere. So you know what, I feel oh, like I'm oh. in like bliss at the moment. I'm in a barn in Austria just chilling out at the Red Bull Center. It's good fun. I, I want to actually like have something in his brain to think like who says it's okay to eat banana and chicken in the same pan? Like what on earth was that before the race? I can't believe we went straight past that, but what was that before the race? <laughs> Well, and chicken. I, yeah, well, like I got up and I was like, man, I'm actually super hungry like after this flight. And the only thing open was 7-Eleven because in Japan, nothing opens to like 11. And so I went to the 7-Eleven. I was like, well, I kind of need some protein, but also want a little bit of sugar before I go swimming. And so I just bought like a chicken. And then I was like, oh, I'll just get a banana as well. And then um, I went back to the apartment and I was like, well, what happens if I put them together? And then I put them together. But at that point, I was already cooking the chicken and I already put like um, soya sauce on the chicken. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I'll just chuck the, the banana in with it. So it's like a soya sauce, banana, chicken combo. No bread, no nothing. Just straight out the pan. Off you go. Happy days. The soy sauce was what was weird to me. <laughs> it was very criminal. <laughs> but honestly, it was actually not bad to be fair. Like, oh, <laughs> like uh, well, I, just, I just rode I just rode it. I just rode, rode the bike. Well, it's the thing, like, a normal person would go, okay, I'm going to have chicken with soy sauce. And then, you know what? I'm going to wash it down with a banana. That's all yeah, I was thinking about. I mean, a banana is ready to go, you know? Like, it comes, <laughs> comes in its own package. It's good to go. Like, person but- goes, ah. Oh. I'm gonna save some time here. Yeah. <laughs> All in one pan. Hey, well, you know, dishes were dishes were clutch in that uh, little Airbnb, mate. And I didn't want to. I, to be fair, then again, like opening a banana doesn't mean I have to like open it with like a knife or something. So yeah, I don't know. May, may have just been for the story influence, maybe. <laughs> the Insta the story. Get any get anything for, for the, the grab, grab. eh? <laughs>
But also those Seven Elevens have a wide, like they've got a good choice. You know, you get those little Ooh, rice yeah. triangles that come. Love in the those rice triangles. Man, I like, call them like not... rice pies. Oh, rice tasty. pies, dude. Honestly, Japan is living in 2050. Um, I so I went to the Seven Eleven, and you know the Boss coffees, those boss co- coffees mm. in a can. I walked to what like it looked like a cooling station that had them all in there, and so I, I opened the door. That it wasn't cold. This thing was piping hot. So I picked up a can and it was literally like the perfect temperature for a latte. So you crack it open and it was like just a, a normal can and it was it was warm. I couldn't believe it. It was great. This is Hayden's idea of the future. <laughs> That's warm what beverages. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, we already have hot coffee here in 2023, mate. Uh, the, the, yeah, the but crazy not, not, not out of a 7-Eleven from a can though. Yeah, Can't yeah. believe that. That was next level. Not in a can. Yeah. So in the next in the next 30 years of technological advancement, the only thing we're going to do is figure out how to tip <laughs> put, like slightly warm coffee into a can and then store it. <laughs> how good's that? Hey, I could get fucked. We're putting... <laughs> invest, we're putting invested in heaters. Can. Investing cat heaters. <laughs> anyway, um, Hayden's supposed to be our host and transitioning us onto our next this next segment, but I'm going to take charge because I feel like we might get stuck on 7-Eleven for quite a while. So um, <laughs> Jack's observation is going to be a segment that we're going to do where I'm going to come to the table with just some things I'm observing in the short course triathlon world. Um, it might go on, go into like PTO racing a little bit, but because Hayden has no real interest in long course racing or Ironman racing just yet, we're going to keep it, keep it short course dominated. So here are my four takeaways or my four observations from the last sort of week or two in short course racing. Number one, Christian Blumenfeld is easily the best triathlete on the planet. He's the defending Olympic champ, but I think we very clearly established the two favourites leading into the men's Olympics at Paris, and that's Alex Yee and Hayden Wilde. Number two, Sophie Coldwell is showing us that Georgia Taylor-Brown, Flora Duffy, and Taylor Nibb aren't the only big dogs going into Paris. Sophie's come second and first in this year's WTCS races. She's swimming in that select women's front pack, riding strongly, and I think running the best out of any women who are going to be in that strong front pack if the breakaway does happen in Paris. Number three, this is a tough one for me because I, I like him as an athlete and and I do believe Gustav Eden is the best long course triathlete on the planet by maybe a scary amount. I think he would have won the PTO European Open. I think he'd probably win the 70.3 World Championships, the, the Ironman World Championships this year. I think he'd show up and win whichever one he chooses to win. But he's wasting his time in short course. And, and I'm not going to sit on the fence on that and say – well, you know, he's following his heart. Maybe he could win it. I think I would be shocked if he finished higher than his his eighth place finish at Tokyo in Paris. And like I said, hurts me to say it because he's probably my favorite triathlete on the planet. But I think I'd rather see him be a three-time Ironman world champion by 2024 versus coming 12th at the Olympics in Paris. And number four and my final observation is that no one knows who the fuck triathlon short course coaches are. If you look at the long course world, a lot of coaches have really high profiles, some of them even bigger than the athletes, and most fans know who is coaching the majority of the world's best triathletes. But 
I think if you went and surveyed every triathlon fan in the world and asked them, who coaches the following people? Alex Yee, Hayden Wild, Georgia Taylor-Brown, Sophie Coldwell, Taylor Spivey, and Leo Bergier, I think it would be less than one in a thousand would be able to tell you who coaches all those athletes. Um, can, can we, can we dissect those, uh, those takes those, uh, those observations, Jack? Yeah. Um, love it. I can't even remember what number one was now. Christian yeah. Blumenfeld. Alex Yee and Hayden Wilder, the clear two favorites to win Paris. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, especially like what the tactics I think are going to play out in Paris. Like, you know, the French have pretty much shown their hands with what their sort of, I guess, MO is going to be come Paris. And they're going to obviously light up the front of that race like there's no tomorrow. So I think if Christian has, you know, any swim that he's sort of shown, like, you know, if, if he's not there or thereabouts, I don't think that the Frenchies and, and the guys who are going to capitalize on that are going to let them back, especially if, Gustav as well doesn't have the swim that you know is anywhere near Christian and he's already further behind I think Christian's gonna be quite exposed and then therefore he's gonna sort of like not be able to to run but yeah I think I totally agree with that obviously we've we've seen what uh you can do Hayden uh and, and especially the way that your running's progressing which is just frightening to be honest with you I just gotta learn how to sprint I I can totally agree with that as well i am so gutted alex wasn't at that race in yokohama um hayden just looked so good that day and i think hayden probably would have enjoyed that more if alex was there as well um and i want to see it a lot more before we do get down to the olympics and like my personal opinion is i think we're going to see um, you know, hayden and alex is one and two and then i think you're going to probably be looking at you know it's going to be christian matt or probably Leo for your for your third spot, but I can honestly see Hayden and Alex probably having their way with that race. And I think like a massive like wild card spot would also be Morgan. Like if he turns up and he comes in and he has the legs on the day, like he's very dangerous on the run. Like he loves to chuck it out early and loves to chuck it out hard. Um, and then he can hold on pretty well. You know, the guys run, I think yeah, it was at a sub 60 or a 60 flat for the half. Like he's got pace, man. Uh, and if he comes off the bike fresh, um, yeah, he's quite dangerous. And, you know, he's quite in the way he's also smart because he hides in the group as well. Uh, Cause he knows he's probably not the strongest rider, but he's smart enough to sit in the group and not even worry about going to the front. So, yeah. I think though we've seen with every single Olympics, obviously that level just goes up another level, especially swimming wise. Like I, I feel like, especially in that Brownlee era, it was so hot at the front of the race that they just rode all the runners out of the race basically. And I really, I think Tokyo was a bit of an anomaly because of the course kind of neutralized that and the sort of the weather conditions and the way that sort of played out sort of neutralized that absolute firepower. But looking at the Paris course, I, th I feel like the the runners are just going to be, and and that's not putting you in there either, Hayden, because you're a runner, of course. Like you're one of the, you are the best or one of the best runners in the sport, but you're also an absolute weapon on the bike too. So it's not sort of like when I say we light up the bike, it's not 
gonna affect you i think as much as it's gonna affect those guys like matt mac like pearson like um yeah i feel like you know i i, I honestly think that paris is just going to be one of the hardest rides you'll see in a long time sophie and the ladies uh i think sophie was extremely impressive um uh, the way she well she's always been off the front of the swim anyway she's an amazing swimmer um, I know she took the time to do a lot of crit racing uh, through the last year and it's paid dividends to her performance on, um, I think, the ITU circuit. I especially think she kicks ass when it's a very technical course. Um, and yeah, like with her, Taylor Nib, um, Georgia on her best day, uh, Katie, if she's up there and that swim Flora, uh, if she comes back for Paris, uh, I know she's injured at the moment, so hopefully she can come back. Um, that front group, if you're not there, you're going to be about six minutes behind because those girls will just do anything in their power to, I think, I think, yeah, take out the sting and the, and the runners like Georgia and, and whatnot, where I think Sophie is, she's an extremely good swimmer. So she doesn't use too many kind of biscuits in there. She's an extremely strong rider. Um, and now she's, you know, bringing up that running prowess, uh, cause I know she was, you know, a few years back, she was dealing with injuries and whatnot, but now I think she's been super consistent and you, you can see that now, like she just ran away from the field, you know, my King was a, a very good runner and she was just running away from her too. So, you know, she, yeah, I think she could be extremely dangerous, uh, leading into Paris. I think that's, yeah. I mean, the British woman is a very interesting Olympic team at the moment, right? Like when you've got you know, Beth Potter, Kate Woff as well with the top five and Yokohama, you know, Georgia Taylor Brown, who's like at the uh, at the moment, you know, after Sophie Corwell, she's the fourth British athlete. And it's like, how scary is that that, you know, Georgia Taylor Brown is currently the fourth British athlete in that team. And obviously she's such a classy athlete and she's obviously, you know, but who knows what the selection is going to end up being, right? Kate really uh, put her hat in the ring with that performance in Yokohama. Yeah, that was an amazing performance from Kate. Hey, she just put it all together. I'm going to say something that might sound harsh, but I think that Beth Potter is going to be a non-factor if she's there. I think she's the one that if she's on the, if she's on the start line, she can't win it of, of those four girls that you mentioned. Yeah, like it's hard to know because I think the British girls know that Beth is an amazing runner, so they will make the bike hard and try and sting her legs. Um, but some of the swims that Beth, Beth has had over the years, like are just incredible. Like she's come out of third out of the water in a few world series races and she's been there, I guess, yeah, depending on that Paris course and how hard like Taylor Nib, um, uh, Sophie and the girls want to ride, um, you know, they could make that an extremely hard bike, which might not suit Beth, but yeah, Beth's shown us that she can now be a front pack swimmer comfortably. Uh, but she can also, yeah, she's an amazing runner. You know, she comes from a, a 10,000 meter background um, and she's, if she, if it's on her day, she can run the house down. So um, I think it all just depends how consistent she can keep that front pack swim up for sure. Gustav Eden, what do you boys think? I'll start off. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love him. Um, he's a great character, but what I'm seeing right now, he's got to do a lot to get back to where he was in short course. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever he wants to do, eh? Like, he can do it. He's got the money. He's, that's what gets him out of bed in the morning. If that's what gives him a good quality of life is to chase an Olympic dream, fuck, go for it. Like, you know, he's only, he's 26, is he? 26, 27. He's got yeah, so, 27, so yeah. long left. 
Yeah. So long Legion. left in uh, in long distance and Ironman racing. What's a year out of that? Like he can still yeah. come back, you know. Even if he doesn't make the Paris team, he's only, you know, he's taken six months out of this year. He's basically just part of this year and next year. He'll, I'd say, be back at at Kona after the Olympics anyway. So it's basically, he's missing one Ironman World Champs. It's sort of like whatever. Yeah. So why not give it a go? Eh? Exactly. Do you think if he's not feeling it a few days out before the race, he will? be Christian's guy to like if Christian has a bad swim to really try grind him to the front and chase those as you reckon the French are going to be pushing it hard at the front do you reckon he's going to be that guy then or do you reckon he'll blow himself for Christian or what do you guys think so this one to me is like I just think this is a no-brainer because I've I've read this a lot on Instagram and and had conversations with people who are trying to tell me that Gustav is prepared to act like a um, like a worker for Christian Blumenfeld and that's just so crazy to me. He is one of the world's best triathletes. He is the Ironman world champion. He's a two-time Ironman 70.3 world champion. He he beats Christian almost every time he races him over long course, including at the, the PTO Open last year. You're kidding yourself if you think Gustav Eden is training 18 months, giving up, going and winning an Ironman world title and PTO, like $100,000 each time at the PTO Opens to get to Paris and be like, you know what? I'm just going to work for Christian today. He's just not going to do that. He's one of the world's best. He doesn't think like that. It doesn't cross his mind. Just just because you might look at it and go, well, on paper, it looks like that looks like a good idea so that Christian could win and they're friends. Gustav doesn't, it's not that he doesn't want to help Christian win. He just doesn't really give a f- about anyone winning but himself at the end of the day. Like when he, maybe when they cross the line and he hasn't won and Christian's won, he could be happy for him, sure. But in the moment, he doesn't give a fuck about anyone but himself, like, like all world-class athletes. He's like just like Talladega Knights, you know. Um, Bobby Boucher, if you're not first, you're last. Take and bake, baby. <laughs> Take and bake. On that, I guess, like, yeah, I mean, you're overlooking the fact that if Gustav is going to work for Christian, then that will mean that they make it to the front of the race. And then it's like, if there's a chance of Christian, uh, of Gustav making the front of the race, like, he's one of the best, you know, runners on this day. I really feel like he suffers from the, you know, like, are you telling me that whatever he ran, what did he run, thirty one thirty in in uh in Yokohama? Man, man runs quicker than that in the first ten k of the Ironman marathon. So it's like <laughs> I really feel like he's sort of like you know if he's not in the race, it's he's not given it all. But if he's in the race, if he comes off in the lead pack and he's within a sniff of a medal, I think he's definitely going for it. Yeah, it's all about his swim for for Paris, but. Yeah, um, controversial opinion, but I just don't think he should even be there. I think he should go and become the, the greatest like, long-course triathlete the world's ever seen, which he already is. He just hasn't won enough for people to start telling him he is. But, yeah, that's just my take. Hammer, lead us on to, to your segment. All righty, so we're going to do something um, a little bit different. It's a little bit stupid, a little bit fun. Um, so pretty much I'm going to ask you guys three questions. This is for each, every single one of you. I want to yes or no answer and then we'll have a bit of a yarn about it because I think there's some uh, pretty funny topics. I've got two silly ones but I'm going to start off with more of a serious one. We haven't actually spoken about this at all because it only happens very few far in between but this is probably mainly for Hayden and Kyle because they race in it. Jack, you you watch so you can obviously answer on it as well but do you like the concept of a mixed team relay? Uh, Yes. Yes. No. Okay, Jack, I'll start with you. Why no? A big part of why I said no was because they both said yes, but I've, I don't watch them. So 
um, if I had to like, if you if you made me write down like a list of the f- like my five favorite like races to watch, the the mixed relay wouldn't be in that top five. It's okay, it's okay, but I think it's more like one of those fun things. Like you know how Waterfall Bank did like the couples triathlon. That's sort of where I see the mixed relay. Yeah. It's like a little bit of fun. It's like a side a side thing that you might do occasionally. Sort of like um. I don't know, like when you would go to like swimming carnivals when you're a kid in high school and they'd do all the serious stuff like the freestyle, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly. And then to keep like the non-athletic or people who didn't swim kids involved, they do like a kickboard relay or something like that. Sort of where I see the mixed relay. It's a bit of fun, bit of side thing. Look and go, oh, look at that. That's a bit weird and fun, but I don't really take it that serious. I think yes, uh, just because it brings, I think think it just brings like federations – um, closer together as I think a lot of federations, there is a lot of, um, you know, politics and stuff as that, as every sport has. Uh, but I think it's cool to race with your country code. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, and the, I guess the cool thing as well is that they're mixing it up a bit. So like, um, year on year, they'll go, um, the men first, women first, men first, and then ladies finish last, uh, and then vice versa, ladies start, men go. So it's cool that they're kind of mixing it up. It brings in that gender equality as well. Um, but it's, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy it. It's, um, it kind of, it's, it's exciting for like as an athlete to race because like, you're like, Oh, like I'm 30 seconds up. Like I was going to give it hammer and tongs just to get like our team over the line. Uh, or else if you're like 30 seconds back, you're like, all right, like let's, let's bust some ass and, and get our team back up to the front. So I think that's like, it's a cool concept for sure. Um, yeah, maybe they can, to make it more like friendly to watch, but there might be some like other things they can do to, to make it cooler. You watch the U-bolt that Jack makes as soon as Australia becomes in contention for a medal, eh? <laughs> Backflip. <laughs> oh, that was, that was unreal, mate. <laughs> Most exciting race I've ever watched on the edge of my seat all day. <laughs> yeah. Holy, I can see like podcasts, like post Olympics, like, holy shit. Mixed team relay. <laughs> Best racing ever. Kyle. Uh, Australia, gold medalists. Kyle, you know you know how big a triathlon I, a fan I am. Like I'm a out and out fan. I probably know, you know, like there, there really isn't much racing I haven't watched since about 2006. I watch it all. I've never watched a full mixed relay. Watched about three quarters one time and went, Fuck, I'm pretty done with this, eh? And I've never watched a full one. <laughs> like, I, I sort of get it from an athlete's perspective that it's fun because it's like it's pretty, pretty fun, exciting. You got a little team, you know, high five and the girls when you cross over, and then you know, it's. I understand it. Like, I would find it fun to race one, but like for us watching it, it's just a bit silly. Like, it's just a bit silly. We don't watch it. No one watches them. And like for it to be an Olympic event, get out of here with that. That's crazy. Like, okay, we have the Olympics. We're going to have two triathlon events. One of them is, you know, the the serious one everyone takes like really serious and cares about. And then we got the silly one. Like put some PTO like length racing in. Make it something else. Like no one watches the mixed race. It, a mixed relay is definitely not worth an Olympic gold medal. What the – like it would be like if swimming had two events. They had the 100 meter freestyle, and then their second event's an 800 meter back, like breaststroke or something. Like, we, hey, we're forgetting about some stuff here. I guess you never hear of like the like you know you hear Usain Bolt or you know 100 meter champion, but you never really. I guess like the four by 100 relay kind of gets pushed back a bit. Like, oh, yo, you guys won like the four by 100, but it's like that guy won the 100 meter sprint. Like that guy's fast as fuck, boy. <laughs> Yeah, but the four by one hundred is dope to watch. Like it is the this probably goes back to what we're talking about way earlier in the podcast. Like the broadcast for mixed team relay, the race is literally over within the first leg of 
the first athletes thing. If you're not in swimming contention, like you're done, you know, like the, the whole day is over. And then you're just watching like probably one person out the front, two people in behind and then one other. And it's normally what France states, um, Germany has a look and Great Britain. Like those are really the four teams that are only going to have a, have a shot at that. Everyone else is just there. Like as Jack said, like high-fiving. I just think if we're going to make it an Olympic event, right? Like we've got two better races. Like you know how running, like they have the five and ten k or the mile and the ten k. I reckon we just do like a really short triathlon, like a super sprint, and then we do the Olympic distance. And then the super sprint would come first. You learn the names of all the people, see who's good, and then they go again ten days later in the in the Olympic distance. I think if we're going to like, come on, like the the mix really silly. Mountain bike short track, unreal. They're talking about putting the old arena games in the Olympics, eh? Even that, I think, is a bit gimmicky. We don't need the gimmick. Is is yeah, my totally. point? Like, let's just let's just do put like proper a, racing in. Yeah, let's just put two proper races. Like, let's do a mile and a ten k equivalent. I think that's like to me that's obvious. You know, same as like cycling. They do a time trial and a road race. Let's do like a super sprint and an Olympic, or an Olympic and a long course. To me, it's really simple. Um. So my second one. This is where we start to get a little bit silly. So my question is, and I'll explain to you why this is the question after you guys answer. Undies under your tri suit? No. Okay. No. So the the reason why I ask is because I've never been in a bike pack before, but I remember Hayden coming home this one time and telling me it's one of the most horrific things ever. Because when you have a bunch of dudes leaned over and there's tri suits with no undies on, nine times out of ten you can see through, and all you can see is just this butthole staring back mm. at you. And I'm like, why don't you put something on to protect that? <laughs> no, try and Z, Triathlon New Zealand have the best suits to show a good ass crack like Taylor Reed. I, I think Nicole should get oh. like a razor back there, eh? <laughs> Honestly, no. So so 2019 Worlds, we got our suit the day before the race and I go to the bathroom and put my suit on and I was like, well, I can see my cock. <laughs> and so that and that race, Hamish, I did. I I I ran uh, I ran togs or trunks under my suit because I couldn't do it. But like what Hayden just said, on this is back in the days of the TT bars. So Taylor's first wheel, I'm second wheel. I'm on the TT bars. He's on the TT bars. <laughs> I look up and I almost rode up the thing, man. Like, <laughs> Don't worry, Taylor. We love you, bro. We love you, bro. But it's just like even he knows. We've told him about it. It's just fantastic. <laughs> Eighty oh, bucks geez. back second crack. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> it looked good back there, mate. Look good. So, Hammer, I have I have oh, a take on this cool. that I can't. I'm going to say yes and yeah. no. So, when I was actually racing and fit, no, like wouldn't even consider wearing like undies underneath my tri suit. Actually, never considered it. But so I was I was racing. Then I went away from the sport, like didn't race for ages, went and did other stuff. And then I've come back to it a little bit in the last sort of like year, just training like an age grouper. And so now it's a yes from me. And here's the reason why. So since I've come back, when I don't wear undies under my tri-suit, I get the worst rashes. Like I look... So you aren't you aren't leathery anymore? It's crazy. Like if I like if I wear a tri-suit like for a brick session or something and then the next day or two days later, like if you look down at my genital area everywhere is just like rashy like it's just because it's been rubbing and that kind of thing whereas back in the day that would never happen like it didn't even and i didn't even realize it was a thing so i just got back into things like i usually would put the tri suit on and there's like a like a big cut where my zip is down the bottom of my tri suit there's just rash everywhere and like 
Honestly, you, you just, I don't even like looking at it. So if someone else happened to look at that, like it would just be like gross, like gross. Are you like a, are you like a raw dog or a Vaseline guy? Um, what, what are we talking about there? Well, you know, like <laughs> that just like, you know, like when you're writing, like, do you put Vaseline on? Do you just go like, like shiv your right and get chafe? No. Um, I'm a Vaseline guy. Yeah. Like in all aspects of my life, but um, with, with that as well, like, yeah, raw dog for sure. But. I mean, if I did it again now, I would have to revisit that. <laughs> I found the title of the show. Jack Kelly has a rash. <laughs> there you go. Episode one, Jack Kelly with a rash. <laughs> Fun fact, actually. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. So I, um, so it was Com Games last year and I had like no um, baby oil. So we put baby oil in our suits so we can get them off super fast because it's just like, you know, oil on your skin and your wetsuit slips off really easy. So I, I didn't have... We weren't close to like a supermarket, but and like the Olympics, you know, the running joke is in the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games, you get like condoms and all sorts of stuff, right? So um, Ryan Sisson's an ex-triathlete uh, from New Zealand. Um, he stuffed my bag with all these like condoms, but there was also like tubs of lube as well, like latex, um, latex lube. And then so I sprayed my uh, inside of my wetsuit with, um, with uh, lubricant instead of Vaseline because that's all I had. It smelled good. No wonder you had such a good swim. Straight out of it. Tell you what, mate, it's <laughs> so slipped straight out. Oh, Durex went hard. Durex lubrication, best stuff to get a wetsuit off. Didn't even need to unzip. You just no, nah, just slip through the neck, slip through the neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, oh. For my last one, um, obviously, you triathletes love caffeine. Has your caffeine intake ever backfired on you on race day? When I say that, I literally mean backfired on you on race day. Yes or no? Yes. Um, no. No. I bring this up because I was listening to Jack's podcast the other day with Christian <laughs> and the Sam Laidlow story. Um, was it Sam Laidlow there? Sam Laidlow, yep. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and he had quite a bit of um, caffeine after talking to Christian, and then he uh, didn't have a too good a day after that. That story is just one of the funniest stories in triathlon. When me and Christian were, were, were talking about that, I was pissing myself laughing. Like the microphone didn't catch just how much I was laughing because I like fell back in my chair. I like I could not stop laughing. When Sam Laidlow first told me that story off air and I was like, oh, we've got to tell this on the podcast, I just – it was just so funny. Can I just say on that then, that we'll just segue into the like, Norwegian propaganda. Like – has, why has no one ever like picked up on the fact that they just bullshit so often <laughs> and everyone just like eats it up like cereal, man? They're like, oh, the Norwegians are doing this. Like they've been doing it for years. It's like the Norwegian method. And they're like, half the time they're just trolling people. Like, no shit. Like, I remember years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember years. I remember years ago I went to training and, and one of the boys was like, guys, have you heard what the Norwegians are doing? They're doing 16-hour days, so they train for eight, sleep for eight, train for eight, and that way they get another day a week. And he was just like, this guy was just fully, and I'm like, they're taking the piss, mate. And then they were like, oh, they're running backwards a whole bunch so they can, like, mitigate, like, running injuries. <laughs> it's just like, these guys are just taking the piss out of us. Kyle, you got to go and listen to my episode with Christian this week if you haven't already because I straight ask him this question. Like I literally ask him whether any – and he's, he does that. He has this – for people who haven't listened, he has this real cheeky laugh that he like – and he's in on the joke. And it was – go back and listen. It's real funny because you can tell he sort of like – he sort of admits it in a way. Uh, it's real funny. And another point on that with the running backwards one because I've heard that story about them too. And 
I started a YouTube channel and I'm going to make a YouTube video on this. Do you guys remember and did you ever watch the training day video series back in the day where like it was like there was one with Craig Alexander, there was one with Jan Frodeno and there was one with the Raylert brothers, Andreas and Michael Raylert, who were like two of the best triathletes in the world at the time. And their training day, they did this session to start the day, which was a 20K run with hill reps, like mountain reps, where they ran up like the side of this mountain and they didn't run the reps or walk the reps, they jumped them. So they jumped all the way from the bottom to the top of this mountain and then jogged back and then jumped all the way from the bottom to this of this mountain to the top of this mountain. Do you boys did you boys ever watch that? No, never watched it. I wasn't around Craig or Crowey's uh, era. Um so I haven't looked back there. Yeah, the specialized videos, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, these ones weren't the specialized yeah. ones. I think this one was by Triathlete magazine. Okay. But the yarn one was specialized. Yeah, and like Tim Don's Triple Run Day. The Kenyan and Day. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, ah, oh. but like, think about that, right? Someone sent you an email and they're like, hey, Kyle, we want to come visit you on your most epic training day and we want to make this really cool video about it. Man, I'm doing a 400K ride, 30K run off it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. that's not you know it's so funny like yeah. you of course you're gonna just like oh i'm gonna do eight run sessions today with a bunch of strides <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on to uh hayden's segment uh well this could go on forever it's uh called hayden's rant so hayden what have you got to rant about today mate oh thank you for the introduction hamish you're an absolute pleasure um no so we'll keep this one short and sweet just because we kind of ranted about like um uh, racing anyway but we'll keep this one short and sweet um so this is a segment where i just like it was i've kind of been put on the spot but we're just gonna do like a bit of a rant about triathlon um i think my rant this week is going to be um it racing needs to be more um intense the bike courses are just too flat they need to be there's there's like technical and like really like um narrow courses which i'm not getting it i'm more getting it that needs to be there's only two races on the circuit this year that I think are real punchy. Like, you know, people shouldn't be, I want to get onto a course where it, it's hard to run a 30 minute 10 K, not a 20, a sub 29 minute 10 K. You know, I want to, I want a super hard bike course, make it super aggressive, like long climbs. Cause there's so many places like Cagliari, for example, you can make that such a hard bike course like five years ago when it was a world cup it was like a six lap bike course, but it was up like a 600 meter climb at like over 12%. It was ridiculous. And it was such a hard run afterwards because it was a good hill climb on the run too. Um, and we just don't have those those courses to really string out and make racing more exciting. Um, Kyle, is there any kind of, I think there's only like two races, which is like probably Azucena and I think Calavari. I think are like two decent bike courses, but what do you, what do you think on that? Yeah, they need to bring back uh, Kids Buell, eh? Going back up the mountain. Oh, how good like, was that? Like, j- like watching Alistair demon up that hill with, like, you know, guys like Mario and Harvey. Like, it was just splintered, completely splintered. It was amazing to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know. That's, that's what I said earlier in the show, right? Like, they're just sort of, like, making it so everyone can get around. It's a bit too sort of, like, yeah, it's just a bit too mellow, right? Like, I think we need to have, if it's a World Series race, a World Series series, and you're trying to find the best triathlete. I think we do need to have like, you know, your flat, fast courses, but I also think you need to really mix it up, right? To make sure you find like who's the best all round athlete. Like surf swims need to come back, you know, 
hard bike courses yeah hard run courses too like it's just kind of a little bit copy and paste at the moment isn't it i think i have a good solution to this for what it's worth and like i know that i have an opinion and idea about how we could fix everything in triathlon but i i think this is a really obvious easy fix and i think it would completely change interest in the the world triathlon championship series like i think it would take it from being the the like sort of forgotten about aspect of the sport to being the thing everyone follows and so firstly the problem is that every course is the same the racing is like the same you like the the name of the city or whatever it is doesn't even matter it's the same it's just a wtcs race that's the exact same in a different part of the world what we need to do is we need to make it that there isn't a race that's that's the same for the whole year like so let's say in a hypothetical world we have five wtcs races we, we do something like this. The first race of the season is a time trial. So it's not a race. It's a swim, bike, run, and it's a time trial. And it's it's like, so the first person off to the is like whoever finished lowest in the rankings the year before, right up until who the, the defending champion is, they go off last. And then the next, the next race of the series, it's a shorter swim, uh, a slightly longer bike that's really hard. It goes up a mountain and a shorter run up the top of the mountain, like Kitzbull style. So it's a race that's going to favour the the best cyclist in the group. So say it goes like instead of and we're too like we're too caught up on the distances. The distance don't matter. People don't give a fuck. So the swim is eight hundred meters. The bike is forty k, but it, it goes up a twenty five k mountain and then it's a four k run up the top. And then the next one, we might go to something more traditional, which is like a one point five k swim, a really flat bike, and a really flat run. 10k so it favors like whoever's going to win that and then the next race of the series might be a little bit different where it's like an ocean swim like an australian ocean swim into a really hilly punchy bike into like a literal uh, a run that has a bit of everything so lots of hills dirt paths steep downhills a bit of everything and so that favors a completely different athlete and then whatever it is and we just make five really unique races like that that are all really different that are all super fascinating to watch that aren't boring predictable where you can't stop watching for a second or you'll miss something that's happened i I, like i think it's just so obvious but i think i think people are afraid of taking risks and i think that's silly because our sport already has no one watching it no one watches the wtcs no one it would be one of the most unwatched professional sports in the world it's like a perfect opportunity right now where I feel like triathlon is it's getting some legs. I feel like people are starting to care about triathlon. I feel like the media coverage is getting better. I think the PTO have changed things a little bit. I think this year or next year or maybe following Paris is the perfect time for the WTCS to take a risk and change something big like this. Yeah, and I think that like whole aspect of different courses, but obviously when it comes to Olympics, like keep it the standard 15, 40, 10, but the World Series, like it doesn't have to be super sprint or Olympic, just like you yeah, mix it up. Or the Olympics is different all the time, just depending. So like maybe one year the Olympics is really standard flat like London, and maybe the next year it's it's got a massive climb on the bike, like a literal mountain, and then the run is sort of up and down that mountain a little bit. And then maybe the next year it's whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't have to just be that. Like that that could be like something that makes the Olympics even more fascinating. Like, hey, this year favors this, but then the next one, you know, the person who won it last time, it doesn't favor them at all. It favors someone like this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think the problem is when things are just like the same, boring, predictable. Like WTCS is a really hard to consume product. Why would we then go back to making our Olympic event the boring version of it? Why don't we keep it the fun, exciting version of it? Yeah, no, definitely. Like I think 
yeah, I think there's definitely ways we can look at it. And I think there's definitely ways we can make it a lot better, a lot punchier, a lot more spectator friendly, but exciting that you just can't, it's, you know, flick the screen and, and, and go into something else. So definitely some food for thought there. Um, but I think, you know, we've, we've uh, been discussing for a good 90 minutes. Um, I think it's been a little bit all over the show for our first episode, but I think um, it's our first round and I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking to the lads here, uh, but I think it will be, I think this will be the, the wrap up and um, no, I've really enjoyed our first little kind of segment and episode uh, with Kyle and um, Hammer, Hamish Wild and, and Jack. And um, yeah, next um, episode will be next week. As I said, we're doing like a 10 episode kind of, yeah, um, short course kind of series and um, I'm pretty sure it'll just get uh, better and better. Um, this is just the start. And, and hopefully, yeah, we we weren't too boring out there today, lads. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, Jack, any any words to finish off? Oh, just one thing on my end. I just want like to clear it up just so people know. I don't still have that rash. It happened one time like six months ago. <laughs> it's not still there. <laughs> Like I'm not. I know it sounds like you've still got it. Eh? No, no, I'm not walking around with no, it. It was one time. It lasted for about seven days. It lasted a little longer than I thought it was gonna. It got a little worse. Day three and four were like bad. Like day three and four, I looked like I had um, whatever, like herpes or whatever it is. Um, it was bad. Like I was, I was, yeah, it was bad. But I don't still have it. I like if you look down now, like just lifted my pants and it looks fine. <laughs> 100% fine. Double, double check, double check. Did have to double check, but it looks we good. It looks good. Well, not good, but it doesn't look good. It looks okay. We were talking off air that no one's ever actually seen Jack before. Imagine if you could just go to triathlon events and you just start looking at people's crutches. Oh, there he is. I see the rash. There it is. <laughs> that guy who's walking funny. <laughs> yeah, there he is. That's Taylor Kelly Reed. trained Jack Kelly. <laughs> uh, awesome, boys. Kyle, Hammer, Jack, pleasure. And Hamish and uh, Jack, we'll see you next week. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, next week, we have another special guest. Um, it's going to be a mystery pro once again. Uh, it's going to be quite an exciting pro, so stay tuned um, for uh, the next release. Thanks, boys. Cheers, boys. <laughs>